appointed king, and he becomes very, very jealous. And he is wanting to kill David. So he's hunting David down all throughout the wilderness, and um, David is, is running for his life, essentially. Well, 1 Samuel 29 tells of David having this brilliant idea of how he's going to save his life. He's going to go into the land of the Philistines. The Philistines were like the, the, the enemy of Israel. So he goes to the king, and, um, and the king, King Achish, finds, he, he sees David favorably and gives David, and he, David's got 600 men with him, like a little army, and then they have all of their family members. Um, so he gives David and his men the town of Ziklag. So David goes and lives in, in Ziklag, and while he's there, he would regularly go out and attack other Philistine towns, plunder them, but never, never left any survivors, so no one knew what he was doing. Every now and then the king would say, hey, what'd you do today? And he says, oh, I went and raided an Israel town, an Israeli town. And, and King Achish is like, man, those Israelites must hate this guy, you know, and, and all. Anyway, I'm giving very broad overview here. I would encourage you to go home and read some of these chapters um, where you can get more of the detail. But uh, anyway, so the day comes when the, the armies of the Philistines are going to attack the armies of Israel. And David's like, oh man. I mean, he doesn't want to fight against Israel. You know, he doesn't want to fight against his countrymen. But if he doesn't show up, it's going to arouse suspicion, you know, Um, because the king had no idea that he'd been fighting all of these Philistine towns. So he shows up and he's like, okay, we're just going to go. But when all of the soldiers of the Philistines see David, like we're not fighting with him, you know, I mean... We know our, our Bible stories. David killed Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine, okay? Um, so they, they knew this guy is a mighty warrior. We don't, we don't want to fight with him because he could betray us and, and fight against us. So King Achish says, you know, I'm sorry. My men are just really nervous having you fight with us. So I'm sorry. I know you are a, an honorable man, but you're going to have to go home. So he goes back to Ziklag, he and his 600 men. And when they arrive, no one is there. Their wives, their kids are gone. Now imagine you come home from a long trip and your family is nowhere to be found. Distraught is an understatement, okay? These, the whole, all the guys, all 600 men, I mean, they are very, very upset. Oh my goodness, who took our kids? Where, where are our families? You know, they're, they're very, very upset. Anyway, they find the slave, and the slave says, actually, the, um, the Amalekites came and plundered your town, and, and they took all of your family members, So David goes and seeks the Lord and says, if I go and chase after the Amalekites, am I going to catch them? And the Lord says, yes. So David's like, strap on your swords, boys. We are going to go get our families, you know? I mean, he is being the Superman. He is being the the Liam Neeson with with that special skill set. He's going to go get his kids, you know? He's going to go get his wives. I mean, he loves his family. He is going to fight for his family, and he does. They chase down the Amalekites. They get every single one of them back. He fights like the mighty warrior that David is, and he rescues his family that day because he loves his family. He wants to see his family together. I'd like to say I would do the same thing. (laughs) If someone tried to mess with my kids, you know. Yeah, hell hath no fury. Um, So in that battle, this big epic battle of the Philistines and the Israelites, Saul, who was king, died along with his son Jonathan, who is David's best friend. And so now David becomes king. And his first several years, you know, I mean, ups and downs, but he's honoring the Lord. God's blessing him, blessing the kingdom. Until one fateful day. Um, 2 Samuel 11. Okay, so that first chapter... Of the, the of Ziklag, that's 1 Samuel 29. Now we're skipping ahead to 2 Samuel 11. David has another opportunity to arise and be the warrior of his family, to protect his family. 
and save his family. But this time does not have the exact results as it did with the Amalekites. He was standing on the roof of his palace. It was in the springtime when most of the kings of that area would go to war. And he's standing on the roof, and he's not at war. And he sees a woman who's taking a bath. And ironically, her name is Bathsheba. And he was entrapped by that image. He was ensnared by that image. And he sent for her, slept with her, and she got pregnant. Well, now he's in a pickle. So long story short, he arranges for the death of her husband, and he takes her to become his wife. That's 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 12 tells of the prophet Nathan, and the prophets in those days knew everything. Okay, they knew, they read your mail without reading the mail. Okay, they, they knew everything that was going on. God would, God would speak to them uh, miraculously. And so Nathan goes to David and he says, David, I heard about this thing. I heard about this story. There's this really, really rich guy. He's got everything. And he lives next door to a poor guy who has nothing except this little baby lamb. And he loved that baby lamb. Well, the rich guy had family coming in from out of town, and he took that poor man's lamb, killed it, and served it for lunch. And David is irate. He is so angry. He's like, I am going to kill that man. I mean, he said, that guy's going to die. And Nathan looks at him and says, you are that man. And David realized what he had done. He realized how he had sinned. And if you're in a situation and you ever need a repentant psalm, Psalm 51 is the one for you. That's what he wrote. Against you and you only have I sinned. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Um, restore to me the joy of, of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Um, he is crying out to the Lord. He knows he needs to repent. And he does repent. But, but Nathan has some very poignant words for him. He is forgiven, but there are going to be consequences. First of all, the baby that Bathsheba is carrying is going to die. Secondly, someone is going to take, he doesn't tell him who, but he says someone is going to take your wives and sleep with them in front of all Israel. And thirdly, he says, the sword will never leave your family. You will never have peace in your family again. And when you study the life of David, there is a line of demarcation pre-Bathsheba and post-Bathsheba. Now, pre-Bathsheba was not hunky-dory. I mean, you know, he's, he's living in the wilderness for part of that time, fleeing for his life, you know, running for his life. But he does not have the sword in his family like we see after Bathsheba. Um, so let's look at chapter 13. So 11 is Bathsheba. 12 is when Nathan comes to him and tells him, you are the man. Chapter 13. One of, okay, so David has a lot of wives. He's got a lot of concubines. So he has a lot of kids. They're all his kids, but some of those kids have different mothers, okay? So they're half-siblings. So one of David's sons, named Amnon, fell in love with one of David's daughters, Tamar. They're half-brother and sister. And he rapes her. Now, rape in any kind of culture is horrible, Rape in any world is devastating. I mean, it is, it is horrible. I've talked with many, many women who have dealt with it. It is trauma. It is physical, mental, spiritual, emotional trauma that a woman has to go through. But in this culture, it was even worse. Because once a woman is raped, she is not allowed to get married. She's never allowed to have kids. And in the Middle Eastern culture, if you're a woman and, you, and you're not married, 
you're in a world of hurt because you don't have anybody to take care of you. I've, I've seen it in my, you know, my family's Syrian, and I've seen this in my own family um, with cousins and, and whatnot. You know, the, the, uh, the, the males get all the inheritance. The women don't get anything because the understanding is the woman has a husband to take care of her. So if you don't have a husband to take care of you, who's going to take care of you? Okay? A lot of Middle Eastern women wear bracelets so they can sell them. That is not why I wear bracelets, okay? I'm not thinking my husband's going to kick me out and I have to live on my bracelets. It's just culture. <laughs> but that is why a lot of Middle Eastern women wear, um, wear, wear the bracelets. Um, so as horrifying as Tamar being raped is for her, it's even more horrifying because of her culture. She's going to have to live in isolation for the rest of her life. So Tamar's full-blooded brother, another one of David's sons, Absalom, finds out about it and kills Amnon. So now we have two dead sons for David, the baby, and Amnon. A daughter who's raped has to live in disgrace and isolation all of her life. And then a son who's a murderer who now has to flee because he's murdered his brother. That's a rough day for David. That's a rough day for David. So chapter, let me get my right chapter. Chapter 14 tells of David's misery, and Joab, who is his general, convinces Absalom to come back to Jerusalem. Says, hey, your dad is miserable without you. Come back. So he does. Chapter 15 he comes back and betrays his father, tries to take over the throne. This is his son. Okay, talk about the betrayal here. He is completely stabbing his father in the back and wants to become king. Sword's never going to leave your family. So David and his family leave Jerusalem. They have to flee for their lives. Um... But he leaves, David leaves 10 concubines, which is like a wife, but not really. Um, leaves 10 of his concubines to live in the palace, to take care of the palace. So chapter 16 is the fulfillment of Nathan's words that someone is going to take those 10, take your, take your wives, take your concubines and sleep with them. And it was Absalom. It was his own son. Does it on the rooftop for all of Israel to see the same rooftop that David was looking at Bathsheba on when all of this started comes full circle. Chapter 17, David finds out about a plot that Absalom has devised to kill him. David's able to escape. Chapter 18, um, Absalom and his men are on the run, and David orders his men, I want him captured, but don't kill him. He's his son. He still loves him, even despite all the betrayal, sleeping with his concubines on the roof of the palace. I mean, all of that betrayal, he still loves him, but Joab kills him anyway. So we have another dead son. We have the dead baby, we have Amnon, we have Absalom, and we have a daughter, Tamar, living in disgrace. David's rough day is turning into a rough month. It's going to turn into a rough year. So you have the affair in chapter 11, and then chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. It just keeps coming. 13 to 18 specifically, with trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma, the sword is not going to leave your family. Why? Because David could not pull his eyes away from that image. He couldn't turn his eyes away from that image. He couldn't save his kids. This mighty warrior 
who chased down the Amalekites, who was like, not my kids, you're not taking my kids. He couldn't fight for his kids that day when it came time to turn his head away from that image. The mighty warrior failed. He failed that day. Unfortunately, we live in a world where we have these same views, we have these same images, these same pictures on our computers, on our tablets, on our phones, laptops, everywhere we go. We have access to these same images that ensnared David that day. Watching that naked woman on his rooftop destroyed David's life. And watching a naked woman on a computer will destroy our lives. We have to learn from the life of David. We can't be deceived that this isn't going to affect me. I've counseled many women over the years whose husbands have been ensnared with pornography. And every one of them felt that betrayal. And one of two things is going to happen. Either the husband is going to repent and God's going to bring restoration, or he's not going to repent. And if he doesn't repent, one of two things is going to happen. Either it's going to end in divorce, which I've seen, or it's going to end up with both married people living as married single people. You know what I mean? I mean, not every marriage, not every marriage is truly a marriage. There's no companionship. There's no friendship. You are, you are living like roommates, like married single people. So that, that's what's going to happen if, if the person does not repent. It's either going to be divorced or you're going to be living as two married people. Now, men, hear my heart. I am not picking on you. It is only for simplicity, for gender, that I'm saying husband and wife. I know that women can be addicted to pornography, can view pornography regularly every bit as much as men can. Statistically, men do it more. Okay, But as I'm using these terms, husband and wife, I, I'm not saying the husband is always the guilty party and you know, men bashing and all of that. That is not, what, that is not my heart here this morning. Okay, please, please hear my heart. I'm just trying to keep things simple and not have to do his and her and husband and wife, you know, all of that. Okay, so let me ask you this. What happens in a divorce? The wife moves out and there's joint custody of the kids. A lot of times, dads will get to see the kids on the weekends and every other holiday, you know, whatever the custody agreements, whatever the custody agreements are. Now imagine somebody coming into your home and taking your wife and saying, you're never going to have a relationship with her again. And I'm going to let you see your kids meh, on the weekends, maybe every other holiday. What would you do if somebody showed up at your house this Friday night and had a, had a gun and said, I'm going to take your wife and I'm going to take your kids and I'll bring your kids back this weekend, next weekend. Would you be okay with that? No. You're going to be the mighty warrior of your family. I'm going to grab a gun. <laughs> I'm going to do whatever I can. You know, I'm going, to, I'm going to fight for my spouse. I'm going to fight for my kids. I want to be able to see my kids every day of my life. I don't like it when they move out when they're 18. I mean, I want my kids with me. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want my kids living somewhere else. I want my kids with me. And I'm going to fight for my kids. The next time you are tempted to view pornography, I want you to imagine somebody coming into your home and trying to take away your wife, trying to take away your spouse, take away your kids so that you only get to see them certain days of the week. Because that's what it is. That's what we're facing. I want to take a moment and talk with um, teenagers, pre-teenagers, any single people in the room. I tell my kids this. 
I don't care how old you are, you are never too young to be the warrior of your family, to fight for your family. You are fighting, you're fighting for your kids and they're not even born yet. You can be the warrior of your family and you, you most likely you haven't even met your wife yet, but you can rise up and be the mighty warrior of your family. I don't care if you're 10, 11, 12 years old. You can be the mighty warrior who fights for your family. Um, don't buy into the lie that it's, you know, all my friends do it. The boys will be boys. Okay, they're just curious. That's all, those are lies out of the pit of hell. It is not just boys being boys. It's not just boys being curious. It's no big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. If you study the research out, the majority of porn viewers in the church are from ages 11 to 17. We are raising a generation, we are seeing a generation of boys addicted to pornography and it is going to destroy those families that aren't even created yet. Don't let the enemy destroy your family, even if you don't have your family yet. Even if you're a single person and you don't have your family yet, don't let the enemy come in and destroy your family. Every time we deny our flesh, we are strengthening muscles. We are, we are exercising muscles that are going to serve you for the rest of your life. And if you can deny your flesh now, at age 12, 13, 14, 15, you're just gonna flex those muscles, strengthen those muscles, exercise those muscles, so that when you are older, it's gonna be easier for you. If you can say no now, you're gonna say no then. I remember telling Caleb and McKamey, Caleb's my, my oldest son, and when he was engaged uh, to McKamey, I told them this. It is so easy to think that, well, we're engaged. You know, if we, if we get too physical with each other, it's really not that big of a deal. If you can say no to each other right now, then you can have the confidence that when, when Caleb is 30 and 40 years old and there's some coworker or somebody who's wanting to flirt with him, he can say, hey, I faced this ugly monster when I was engaged and it was my wife. <laughs> she was going to be my wife. And I said no to my flesh then. McKamey's gonna have some confidence that if, if he said no to his flesh when he was 20 and he was dating her, then he's gonna say no to his flesh when he's 30 and 40. Guys, the enemy does not play fair. He doesn't say, oh, 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 he's married now. Oh, okay, well then I won't tempt him with pornography. I won't tempt him with somebody who's gonna come along and flirt. The, adultery is a thing, it's not just fornication. The enemy is going to tempt you in fornication. I'm in, in adultery after you're married. I mean, you know, that, that temptation is always going to be there, especially now with computers and the internet. Those images are so accessible. I want to encourage families, talk with your kids about these issues. Have a family meeting and discuss these things. Um, I can remember, we, we are very blessed to live in, in Pier for a number of reasons. One of them is the fact that we don't have horrid, raunchy billboards everywhere we drive, okay? But not every city has that. And I remember we were visiting my family in Florida and there was a horrible, horrible billboard. And one of my kids, I have five sons, so one of my kids was staring at that, at that billboard. And I remember thinking in my head, oh, I wish he wouldn't do that. Dumbest thought ever. How in the world is he not going to do that? I could sit here and say, oh, I wish he wouldn't do that. I'm his parent for crying out loud. If it is to be, it is up to me. I don't want to have that conversation with him. 
Maybe his dad could have that conversation with him. Okay, that is a cop-out. If there is something on my heart that I need to tell one of my sons, I can't pass that over to Dallas every time. Dallas has his own conversations that he has with them. I can't put it all on him. So I'm just going to have to embrace the awkward. This was the first time that phrase ever popped into my head. Now, I know that that is a phrase now that everybody hears, but I'm telling you, I came up with it first. (laughs) Okay, not first in all the world, but I never heard it until it came into my head. And that was from the first time I had it was having to talk to my kids about this very thing. Man, I, I would rather go have a root canal than talk to my kids about this. And I gave it to the Lord. And y'all, God set me free. I am so free in this area. My kids probably wish I weren't quite so free. I mean, I will say whatever I need to say whenever I need to say it. Okay, when we would, when we would be in Florida and we'd go to a water park, before we ever left the parking lot, Before we ever got out of the car, I would tell the kids, now boys, there are going to be girls here who don't have enough clothes on. And if I see you gawking, if I see you staring, I am going to call you on the carpet about it. (laughs) Now, I bet there are people in this room who are like, oh, Sarah, come on. Aren't you shaming your kids? No, not in my opinion. I am giving my kids the tools that they need to survive in a pornographic world you got to guard your eyes. I mean, you might have to be walking around looking at the sky. <laughs> Just try not to run into a pole. You know, you can look at anything you want to look at, except that. I, I've told this story before, but I, I'm sure people who've heard me say it remember it. I had somebody actually just reference me to this. So when Dallas was in college, our, our university had um, a color guard in ROTC that would present the colors um, at different sporting events. And they were, they, were, they were really, really good. They were super tight. They did it for Braves games. This was in Georgia. They did it at a couple Braves games. And Dallas was in charge of the color guard. So it's, it's very, very tight. I mean, they, you know, and he would give the commands. So lift, lift. And I don't, I, to this day, I really don't understand what all the different commands were. I, I don't really know what, what they meant. But um, I do remember, because they, you know, they have all these different flags, and then there's like a dummy M16 flanking on either groups of the flags. And so Dallas would be like kind of behind him, and he's given all the commands. And one of the commands was, eyes right, okay, as they're marching and doing their thing. So when we were in shopping malls, whenever we were in public, really, I always stand behind when they, were, when they were younger because I could keep track of, of all of them because I am very aware of my surroundings. I know everything that happens. I just, you know, I'm just very aware. So I can keep track of all five of them, make sure all the boys are here. So when we would go into shopping malls and we'd pass Victoria's Secret, I'd yell, eyes right! And they, they would all look the other way. And I mean, there were people around us who were laughing. They knew exactly what was going on. <laughs> and when we were coming back, it was eyes left. <laughs> and Dallas and all the kids would turn their heads, you know. Um, I mean, I'm free of this. <laughs> I, will, I will say whatever I need to say. I mean, I, you know, when we would have the Super Bowl parties and, and uh, back in the day, the, the, the GoDaddy ads were just so raunchy. And the Vances all have really large TVs, so I would have to get my coat and I would make myself as wide as I possibly could to cover up those ads. I mean, I can remember for so many years, you know, you're in a group and there's something inappropriate happening and you just want to like leave the room because it's just so uncomfortable I don't leave the room anymore I will cover up the screen (laughs) I I just I don't care Um, but but what we're doing is I'm training my children of how to handle these how to handle these kinds of situations Aaron and I watch um, a superhero TV show called The Flash, and we don't have uh, we don't have cable or satellite um, or Hulu or, or whatever. But um, there's some shows we can watch on uh, over the internet with with the iPad. So a lot of times during uh, our lunch break, 
we would watch The Flash one day a week and watch it on, on the iPad in the kitchen. And um, The Flash apparently is sponsored by a, a leggings company called Fabletics. And the Fabletics commercial, while it is not incredibly scandalous, it's still, you know, women in leggings. So when the, when the commercials first started, I just turned the iPad around. So, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't watch it. Well, then I started noticing there were times I wouldn't be near the, the iPad. So Aaron would turn it around. And every time he did, I said, Aaron, you are fighting for your wife. One day your wife is going to thank you for that. Good job. Well, there was one time I was in the other room. I was putting some stuff away. And I heard the Fabletics commercial come on. And I just glanced. And I see Aaron was on his phone. And he turned. He'd had the, the iPad turned. You know, I mean, he was just scrolling on his phone, and the iPad was turned around, and then when the music went off, he turned it back, and he just went to scrolling back on his phone. He wasn't like, looking to see if mom's around, you know, he had just turned it on his own, and I, I came into the room. I said, Aaron, you are, you are doing it right. You got it going on, son. I mean, that, that is what you do. You are going to save your eyes for your wife. Just like you keep your body pure for your wife, you're going to keep your eyes pure for your wife. And she's going to thank you for that one day. Um, at, like I said, 11, 12, 13 years old, being the warrior of his family. Hasn't even met him yet. So you might have to get a little uncomfortable. Parents in the room, grandparents in the room, you might have to get a little uncomfortable. You might have to ask the, the awkward questions. So how is your internet viewing? Are you keeping your eyes pure? Um, you might have to have a family meeting. I would encourage you, if you haven't talked with your kids about this, talk with them about it. Talk with them about the dangers of it. Um, also, just you know, basic common sense, don't have a computer in your kid's room. When I was homeschooling, we had a computer in the schoolroom, but I always arranged it so that the second I walked into the room, their back is facing me and I can see the monitor. You know, you don't want to have a computer where it's completely secluded, where they can be doing whatever, you know. I mean, it's just common sense. You're giving them tools to help them to, uh, to be successful. The thing with pornography is that it is not just a sin issue. It is a brain issue, okay? When, when two human beings have sex, there is a, a, a chemical in the brain, oxytocin. There are four chemicals in your brain. You can remember it with the acronym DOSE. There's dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. Okay, those are all the feel-good chemicals in your brain. And uh, oxytocin is the one that is released during, during sex. When someone views pornography, dopamine is released. And dopamine, just like two human beings, when oxytocin is released, it binds them to each other. That's why you feel that emotional connection. But with pornography, it's dopamine, which also provides an emotional connection. There is a bond that's formed with that image. And that is the foundation of why it can become so addictive. It's not just the sin of selfishness, okay? There is something that happens in the brain because of pornography. So the brain, it's like the brain has to be retrained. It has to be reprogrammed. Um, and, I, and from what I have read this, this well, a couple weeks ago when I was researching some of this, um, so much of the church handles pornography simply as a sin issue. And it is. But for someone who's heavily addicted, there's got to be some reprogramming in the brain. And there's some resources out there to help you. I, on your handout, I have a couple of those. There's one of them called Pure Desire Ministries. I'm not as familiar with them, um, but they do have some podcasts. They also have a, a, a huge, um, I think it might be a nine-week 
Bible study group that if someone is interested in leading it, and just because you're leading it doesn't mean you're addicted to pornography. I mean, I would lead it if porn wasn't such a, a, a male issue, <laughs> you know. I don't think it's appropriate for me to lead it. But it is something, I mean, pornography is just something very near and dear to my heart. I have five sons, okay? This thing is out to devour my kids. It wants to devour my children, their wives, their children. You know, I am fighting for my grandkids before I even know them. Okay, so this is an issue that it it burns inside of me. Um, But if you are interested in leading something like that, you know, please, please see me. The other site, and I can vouch for this guy, is Josh McDowell. Man, that website is fantastic. Dallas and I actually saw him speak in Washington, D.C. a while ago, and this issue burns on his heart. Uh, His website, josh.org, and I have this written down on your handout, Um, He has a huge book, uh, 16 chapters, on the epidemic of porn, the porn epidemic. And he goes into a lot of that brain chemistry um, that I just sort of touched on. He also talks about that there is a rigidity that will happen in the neurons in your brain where the, you know, neurons do best when they are flexible, okay? But there is a rigidity that will happen with, with the brain because of pornography. And both of these sites have tips and resources that can help the true addict to get retrained, to, to help retrain, retrain their brain, reprogram um, their brain. So if you are viewing porn regularly in your life, I want you to know today is your lucky day. You can be completely freed of this. Um, sin, uh, pornography, it is a brain issue, but it is a sin issue. You have to deal with both, okay? So dealing with porn in terms of sin is just like dealing with any other sin. Um, so I have some steps on, on your handouts That first step is, you know, you just got, you got to repent. Just like with any sin, you have to repent. Ask God to forgive you. I love, I put this verse at the bottom of your handout, 2 Peter 1, 3, and, and I, I spoke on this one um, on the sermon with, uh, with Saul about turning. That God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. He's given you all the tools that you need to be the warrior of your family, to fight for your family, to, to not get ensnared into pornography or whatever, whatever sin issue you might be dealing with. Um, secondly, you want to confess it. You want to confess that sin. Now, if you, if we're, this applies to all sin, okay? But this morning, talking specifically about pornography, if you are ensnared to, to pornography and, and you are married, the appropriate person to confess this to would be your spouse. And that's going to take a lot of courage, okay? But marriages can survive. I've seen it happen. When true repentance comes, when that turning happens... It can survive. It is not too late. And you can start now being the warrior of your family. It is not too late. There is always hope. Um, You know, my brother-in-law, Jeff, preached a sermon probably, I don't know, 15, 16, maybe 17 years ago. I never forgot the sermon. Uh, It was on sin. But he talked specifically about the power of secret sin. When we're engaged in a secret sin, the secrecy of that sin gives it more power. But the good news is the second you confess that sin, that power is diffused. It's broken. So you want to confess it. You want to confess that sin. It's going to break the power of that, of that secrecy, um, of that secret sin. Thirdly, you want to find somebody to whom you can be accountable. You want to find an accountability partner. Um, someone who could ask you, if we're talking about pornography, someone who will ask you every day, if need be, 
Have you looked at pornography today? I've done this with other sin issues for people where they asked me to call them every day and ask them very personal questions. But it's a privilege. The thing with being a, a, an accountability partner, an accountability partner is not going to be someone who is going to shame you, okay? An accountability partner is not someone who's going to make you feel guilty, okay? The idea of a, an accountability partner is this is someone who is going to partner with you to see freedom happen in your life, to see deliverance happen in your life over... Um, over the sin issue. I also want to encourage you, if you are not involved in a life group in one of our Bible studies, uh, we have several throughout the week that will meet any schedule limitations, okay? They're on the information magnet board. Um, there's a list of all of our groups and the different times that they meet. Um, if you are needing accountability for any sin issue, pornography included, um, I want to encourage you to get into a group. And God's going to highlight someone to you. I believe it with all my heart. God's going to highlight someone to you that you can have a connection with that, that can be an accountability partner for you. If you can't find someone to be accountable to, talk to me or one of our deacons, and we will find someone for you. Okay, this is a, this is a huge step in, in the process. And if you relapse, if you fall, you just have to get up. Everybody falls, okay? I fall, Dallas falls, everybody falls. The difference is a quitter stays on the ground. You don't want to be a quitter. You just got to get up. You just got to get up, get back in the race. Fourthly, you might have to do some house cleaning. Clean out your house. So obviously, if you have pornographic files on your computer, you need to delete them, okay? If you have magazines in your house, you need to get rid of them. Movies, whatever, media, whatever, get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Don't try to go, you know, a little at a time. I'd say go cold turkey, okay? Just get rid of all of it. Just throw it all out. Have yourself a bonfire if need be. Um, this is what Jesus talked about where he said in the Sermon on the Mount that if your right eye, your, your dominant eye, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. And what he means there is you do whatever it takes. You take extreme measures. If you have to get rid of the internet in your house, do it. We, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like my lifetime, we really have not had the internet all that long, okay? My father still doesn't have it. It's 1985 in my dad's house, okay? He doesn't have a computer. He doesn't have a smartphone. He's got nothing. Um, you can go without, you can live without the internet. And if you are addicted to pornography, you might have to take that step. But my goodness, what is at stake here? Jesus says you are better to enter the kingdom of heaven maimed then have all of your parts and go to hell. You are better to live as if it's 1985 with no internet than to have the latest Mac Pro and iPhone 10 or whatever and enter into hell. No question. If you have to get rid of the internet, get rid of it. It's going to be worth it. Your freedom is worth it. Your family is worth it. Your wife, your kids, whether you have them with you yet or not, it's worth it. <coughs> Lastly, pray the word. Pray the word. And I have some scriptures on, on your handout. I pray these over my kids. Uh, if, if grandparents. I would encourage you to pray these scriptures over your grandkids, uncles, aunts, you know, people that, that you love dearly. You know, if you're not personally ensnared with pornography, I guarantee you know someone who does, whether you know they do or not. It, it, the statistics are way too prevalent. 
All right, let's look at Job 31.1. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. And then you skip down to verse 9. And he says, if my heart has been seduced by a woman, or if I have lusted for my neighbor's wife, then let my wife serve another man. Let other men sleep with her. For lust is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. And this part, this is so poignant. It is a fire that burns all the way to hell. It will wipe out everything I own. That is powerful. And notice there, he's not talking about adultery. He's not talking about doing the deed. He's talking about lust. Lust is a fire that will burn all the way to hell. It will wipe out everything you own. We just saw it with David. The sword did not leave his family because of lust, because he could not look away. He could not turn his eyes away from that naked woman. It destroyed his life. It will wipe out everything you own. It is a big deal. The enemy wants us to think it's not a big deal. It will wipe out everything you own. God's word, it's right there. He can't be any more clear. Right there. Psalm 101, uh, 2 and 3. I will be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I believe God allowed that wording to be there for us today. Because, I mean, now David did see Bathsheba on his rooftop in his house, but they didn't have television. You know, they didn't have magazines. You know, they had like rock tablets maybe that are chipped away, but you know, what kind of, you know, anyway, I don't think images on rock tablets are going to be all that scandalous. (laughs) Anyway, um, my point being, I think God allowed that vocabulary, that wording to be there, especially for us today, because we have access to everything vile and vulgar in our homes, way more than they did in David's time. And he's saying, I am going to be careful. I'm going to lead a life of integrity in my own home when no one is looking. And I am not going to allow my eyes to see anything that is vile or vulgar in the privacy of my own home. I believe that verse is the grace of God to us to give us this key to pray the word. There is power when we pray the word of God. Isaiah 33, 15. Those who are honest and fair, who refuse to profit by fraud, who stay away from, who stay far away from bribes. Who refuse to listen to those who plot murder. And this is the part that I'm getting to. Who shut their eyes to all enticement to do wrong. Who shut their eyes to all enticement to do wrong. That woman who's looking at you with those lusty eyes. She's not enticing you to go make potato salad, right? She is enticing you to do something wrong. And Isaiah is saying... Those who shut their eyes to all enticement to do wrong, those are the ones who are going to dwell on high. I want to dwell on high. I want my sons to dwell on high. I want my husband to dwell on high. So I pray every day for them in the morning, God, give them grace. Give them strength to shut their eyes to all enticement of doing wrong. This has been a very, this has been a heavy topic this morning. But I cannot apologize for that. This true, when you study out the, the statistics, something like 60% of men in the church, in the church, are regularly looking at pornography. And the thing is, the topic is so. Mm, No one wants to talk about it. We have to talk about it. But I never want to leave people feeling hopeless. 
because that's not the heart of the Lord. When we have the Lord on our side, we always have hope. We always have his strength. So if you are either addicted to pornography or you are regularly viewing it, maybe not every day, but regularly viewing it, I want you to know God can set you free. I don't care how many years it's been entangling you, ensnaring you. He is able to bring freedom into your life. And it can start today. It is not too late for you to be the warrior of your family, to fight for your family. So we're going we're gonna to just take a couple minutes and just pray. And really, even if you're not dealing with pornography, if you are dealing with any kind of habitual sin, something that you need freedom from, this prayer would apply to you. Okay? Um, so let's just bow our, bow our heads and, and close our eyes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. God, we need you. God, we need your strength, Lord. We can't find freedom and deliverance on our own. God, I thank you that you have given us everything we need to live a godly life. God, I thank you for your power flowing through us. So Father, I pray that you would give each one grace right now, God. As we turn from habitual sin, from addictions, we repent and we turn to you. So if you're needing to repent in this place, I'm just going to lead out in prayer and feel free to to join me. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I confess to you the sin of pornography or any other habitual sin. God, I ask you for strength to overcome. I ask you to deliver me from this trap, from this snare. I pray that you would empower me to say no to this sin, to be the warrior of my family. I renounce this sin and its hold on me. I thank you, God, that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I choose freedom today, God. I reject the, por- the, the bond of pornography. And I thank you that the power of the blood of Jesus Christ sets me free from that bond. God, save me from the sin and the destruction that it brings. Extend your hand of grace and mercy on me. God, I will be the warrior of my family and fight for them. Give me the strength to embrace the awkward and have those conversations with my kids as I feel led to. God, I need you. Help me. I can't do this on my own. But your grace is sufficient for me. Thank you for your grace. I love you, Father, in Jesus' name. 
God, I just pray for each one who prayed that prayer, God. Whether it's a sin of pornography or another habitual sin, God, I pray for freedom to reign in this place, God. I ask that salvation would spring up from the ground, God. Father, that the sound of chains falling and hitting the ground, God, would fill the atmosphere right now, God. That freedom would reign in this place, Lord. God, I thank you for your power flowing through us, God, in this very important first step, God. And Father, I thank you that just as we saw with Saul, that as we continue to obey, God, you will continue to change us. You will continue to help us. And God, in those moments when we're weak, Father, I thank you that your word says that you will show us the way of escape. When we are tempted, your Holy Spirit will show us the way of escape so that we can bear that temptation. God, we thank you for that, Lord. Father, we receive your power. We receive your strength right now, God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to take up our morning um, tithes and offerings. We also have communication cards. Um, I want to encourage you that if, if there was something that was just sparked inside of you that you want to be the warrior of your family, and that might be praying for your kids. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are trapped in pornography. I am the warrior of my family. <laughs> you know, I pray for my kids for God to set them free. And, and if that's a new thought for you, I would ask you to write on the back of your card, I'm going to be the warrior of my family. If you want to make that commitment today of praying about pornography and, and your kids and your grandkids and nieces and nephews and, and your loved ones being free from pornography, um, if you need deliverance from the sin of pornography, I would invite you just to write freedom on your card. And you don't have to sign your card. If you don't want to put your name on it, that's okay. Any kind of step, any kind of step is a good step. And if that's the smallest step you can take, it might be a series of baby steps, okay? But a series of baby steps is gonna end up translating into one big step. So if, if that's the, that, that, you know, that'd be the smallest step to take, okay? Write anonymously on the back of a card, freedom. And if you're, if you, if you are bound to pornography, it is a regular ugly thing that rears its ugly head in your life. God wants to set you free from that. So you can write that on the back of your card if, if you want to. Of course, if you want to put your name on your card, by all means, you can. Um, and then uh, morning tithes and offerings. Let's go ahead and pray over those. God, we just thank you, Father. We thank you for your provision in our lives, God, um, financially, but Father, also emotionally and spiritually, God. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us Father, to, to show the courage that we need to take these steps, God, to walk in freedom, to pursue freedom, to live a life of freedom from all sin, not just pornography, but all sin. Father, we pray that you would help us, God. God, bless these gifts, Lord. Bless the, those that give. God, I thank you that you love a cheerful giver. We thank you for meeting our needs. In Jesus' name, amen. So we can go ahead and pass those around. God is good. His mercy endures forever. His grace and his kindness, they will see us through. Amen. We always have hope. Praise God. Well, let's all stand. Just let me pray a blessing over you. Father, I thank you for each one here, Lord. God, I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you for your word falling on, on good soil in this place. 
And Father, if, if you would have us to share this word for someone, God, if there's someone in our life that we know who is bound to pornography, God, give us the courage to be able to share that word, Father. God, I thank you that you said your word will not return to you void, but it will accomplish that which you please and it will prosper in the thing whereunto you send it. So Father, we thank you for prospering word that will go forth, God. Father, I pray that this week our times with you would be sweet. God, that you would encounter us when we meet with you, God. That you would give us revelation as we open up your word, Father. And God, I pray that throughout this week, Lord, we would be your hands and feet extended. God, that we would be aware of those around us who need encouragement, who need strength, who need to be built up. Father, help us to see those and and to love, to show love, God, to everyone around us. Father, we thank you for your blessing, your protection. God, just be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.